Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Before I introduce our speaker, it's our tradition of around to introduce ourselves. Um, my name is Joe. Hi everyone, my name is Lou. Hi, I'm uh, Robert. And Francesco, Francesco. Tim. Lies. My name is Mark. Don. I'm Greg. Andrew. Tim. My name is Jerry. Jim. Peter. Jose. I'm AJ. I'm Hal. My name is Clint. <coughs> Jason. I'm Richard. My name is Tim. Michael. My name is Cass. My name is David. My name is Douglas. My name is Tom. My name is Sean. I'm Brad. I am Joey. Anybody here for the first time? My, my name is Michael. And Michael, too. You were some first timers? So we'll, we'll notice who you are and try to make you feel welcome down the road. We, just so you know, we, we have a little social time after the talk, and then we'll get rolling, so we'll tell you about that. Our speaker today is Joe Rodriguez. He is a Soto Zen student from the Shunru Suzuki lineage, studying under Nancy Schroeder, abiding at the Green Gulch Farm Zen Center, and serving as a board member of the San Francisco Zen Center. As a business executive and a longtime LGBT activist, his practice is to bring awareness, compassion, and forgiveness to daily life. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Well, I'd like to thank the um, GPF for inviting me. Um, it seems like it's almost an annual tradition. Uh, about a, exactly a year ago, I was here talking about Harvey Milk and the Buddha. And um, uh, we talked a lot about activism and about being ourselves. And uh, a lot's happened since then, including the weather's changed. It's gotten a lot warmer. But. Uh, I just want to say happy marriage equality to everyone. <laughs> um, forgiveness is my topic today, and I think it's best to start this uh, juicy subject with a personal story of mine. Um, a story about an ex-boyfriend and some Christmas, Christmas cookies. <laughs> a, few, a few years ago, I was in a relationship which I had high hopes for. I was dating a handsome, smart man who I met in a Buddhist context. We were a great match in many ways. We had similar ages and interests, complementary meditation practices, strong sexual chemistry, etc. But after 18 months of dating, my connection with him was waning. He was okay with the relationship, but I wasn't. From my perspective, the man I had fallen in love with 
had been replaced by someone who was judgmental of most things in his orbit, including me. For, um, For example, he had harsh assessments of his job, his and my friends, the carpet in our hotel room, (laughs) our fellow diners, and even the way I chewed. (laughs) And despite having a number of serious heart-to-heart talks about this behavior, things were getting worse as time passed. His criticisms became more frequent and more personal. I felt discouraged about the prospects of this relationship. Many of you know that know me, I'm pretty bullish to a fault and would not end this relationship without one last ditch effort to get us back on track. I thought, why not start the new year off at Hope Cottage, a romantic getaway high above Green Gulch Farm on the way to Stinson Beach. Hope Cottage. (laughs) A cozy stone cottage with a fireplace, stunning views of the Pacific, and miles away from anybody or anyone, an an aptly named place given my mission. The pricey two nights would be on me, and even my mom got in on the act, baking a special batch of holiday cookies for us to enjoy. So I was hopeful as my boyfriend picked me up, believing that somehow I could nurture him into being a kinder, gentler boyfriend. <laughs> so I arrived at, we arrived at Green Gulch Farm on that day in New Year's Eve, hiking up the steep trail for 30 minutes with our luggage trailing behind. We get to the cabin, and he is immediately wowed by the cabin's rustic, zen-like beauty, the homemade bread and jams, The magnificent views. We settle in, cuddle up, get warm, make love, and laugh. It felt like times, the times when we first met. And just maybe, I thought, this relationship might work out after all. In the middle of our pillow talk, I remembered the homemade cookies my mom had made, thinking this is the perfect moment to enjoy them together. I presented them, saying my mom had baked them for him. And then the most astounding thing happened. He ate one, got up from the bed, put the rest into his briefcase. Zippering it closed so I couldn't have any access to him (laughs) for the rest of the weekend. Hey, I like sweets, but I'm no cookie monster. I was literally speechless. (laughs) It's not the actual bag, but you get the idea. I couldn't believe it. This romantic weekend I had um, had planned been been torpedoed by what a monk, an old monk teacher of mine had called me, my, and and I. (laughs) Selfishness. All hope for us had evaporated in that moment with me saying to myself, If you can't share a bag of cookies with the man who just gave them to you, well, it's probably over. (laughs) In hindsight, this incident captured our lopsided relationship dynamic. I listened to his fears and gave him encouragement, but he had a hard time returning that 
when I needed emotional support. I limped through the rest of the weekend, breaking up with him a short time later. Well, I've told you my version of the story. Not just to win your attention and support, um, but as a way to talk about forgiveness in an unfiltered, first-person way. I just don't want this to be an academic sort of talk. In the five years since this relationship, I have been on a journey to understand and practice forgiveness. Forgiving the ex and others, forgiving myself for choosing this relationship, and forgiving myself for the hurtful things that I've done to other people. So uh, I'm just going to pause here for a second. Um, can you relate to the story in any sense? Uh, <laughs> brings up for anything. Well, one of the things I think would be really great to do, and there'll be a couple of times where you can ask me a lot of questions at the end, but um, just keep in mind someone that you have a grievance with, someone who you have a story with as we go through this. I think it might be helpful. And there'll be a, a section coming up where uh, I'll be playing some audio, so I think everyone will be able to hear with the help of my trusty uh, speaker. So let me tell you about my path to forgiveness. As I was recovering from this relationships, my friends advised me to for forgive him, move on, forget about it, let it go. But I couldn't do it emotionally. As if I didn't know what these words meant or these phrases meant. One friend suggested that my lack of forgiveness was like holding a hot coal, which only hurts me. I thought that was a great metaphor, but it didn't do, move me much because I was in pain already. My mind was um, clenched in judgment, drowning in resentment and noise. The guys from my meditation group had some beautiful stories and lessons about forgiveness, but my mind grumbled on. My, my thoughts seemed to ping pong between two impulses, wanting to be right and vengeful and wanting to protect myself to make sure I never had a boyfriend like this one again. There was something about this relationship that had touched me to my core. I read Nelson Mandela's beautiful autobiography, How He Transformed His youthful rage into clear, deliberate action. Eventually, he forgave the regime that had imprisoned him for decades, taking years away from his life. He said, forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That's why it's such a powerful weapon. Well, this was helpful, but still, still no cigar. My anger still smoldered on. I knew that I had to uh, lean in even more to get back to my basic Buddhist roots. So I did. Perhaps the most revolutionary thing in Buddhism is this idea of Buddha nature, the fundamental nature of all human beings, the unfettered mind, present and free of delusions and unnecessary suffering. It's our natural state of grace, our birthright. Oh, sorry, catching up. And by the way, 
Buddhist nature is the opposite of the Christian idea of original sin. I think that's important to keep in mind in, in this culture. And I really liked how this passage from the Tibetan Book of the Dead explains Buddha nature. O oh, nobly born, O oh, you of glorious origins, remember your radiant true nature, the essence of mind. Trust it. Return to it. It is home. I also got down on my cushion and meditated more, having more moments of experiencing that Buddha nature. I caught glimpses of it, even though they were transient. I read lessons by my favorite teachers, Pema, Jack Cornfield, Suzuki Roshi on forgiveness, who reminded me that holding a grievance cuts me off from the core of my humanity, my interconnectedness, and my compassion. More and more, these practices started penetrating my hard heart, especially after hearing a powerful forgiveness story told by Jack Cornfield. Like a student learning a new language, I replayed this story countless times as I drove across San Francisco. From Washington, D.C., up to Philadelphia, to go to my father's funeral, I found myself seated, or I sat down, next to an interesting-looking African-American gentleman who, as we began to converse, turned out had worked for the State Department in India for a long time, but had quit and now ran a rehabilitation program for juvenile offenders in the District of Columbia. And most of the young men he worked with had come out of the gangs and were gang members who had committed homicide. Kind of the toughest work. And then he told me the story of one 14-year-old boy in his program, who'd come in at 14, who had shot and killed an innocent teenager to prove himself to the gang. And he was caught, and at the trial, the victim's mother sat impassive and silent until the very end, when this young man was convicted of the killing. And after the verdict was announced, she stood up slowly, and stared directly at him in the eye and said, I'm going to kill you, and then sat back down. And he was taken away to serve some years in a juvenile facility. And after the first year had passed, the mother of the child that was killed paid a visit to his killer. He'd been living on the streets before this, and she was about the only person who visited him. And they talked for a time, and when she left, she gave him some money for cigarettes and said she'd visit him again. And she started little by little to visit him, bringing him food and little gifts. And after he'd been in for several years, she asked him when he was getting close to being released what he was going to do when he got out. And he was confused, he didn't know. So she offered to set him up with a job in the company of a friend of hers. And then it got closer and she said, well, where are you going to live? He had no place to go. So she offered him temporary use of a spare room in her house. And for eight months he lived there. 
and ate her food and worked at this job. And then one evening she called him in the living room and she sat down opposite him and waited. And then she said, do you remember in the courtroom that day when I said, I'm going to kill you? He said, I sure do. I never forget that moment. Well, I did, she went on. I did not want the boy who could kill my son for no reason to remain alive on this earth. And that's why I started to visit you and bring you things. And that's why I got you the job and let you live here in my house. And that's how I set about changing you. And that old boy, he's gone. So now I want to ask you, since my son is gone and that killer is gone, if you'll stay here, because I've got a room and I'd like to adopt you if you'll let me. And she became the mother of the killer of her own son, the mother that he never really had. So I think I'll pause here for a second. And see, this, this story obviously had a big impact on me. Um, but I, I would really like to hear from you. Any any thoughts about forgiveness or or this story um, or anything that I've said so far? Yes. Well, I just brought to mind about that racist killer in South Carolina, and um, how the, I, I, I saw it on TV. Yeah. How they all sat down and forgave him, and you know I don't think I would be doing something like that. It's very very moved. <laughs> I think the one reason the whole nation was moved, that's why the Confederate flag was, was rejected because these people took the same example of race before racism. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what, what he's talking about is, you know, in Charleston, before they were um, sentencing or having the hearing, they had the families give it an opportunity to address the killer who did this massacre. And, if you get a chance, YouTube it. It's really, it's really amazing. I actually thought about sharing it today, but uh, uh, I just love it. I really, I think it really captures the essence, the pain, and the, and the beauty of forgiveness. Yes. I think one thing I've become aware of in my life when I think I'm forgiving somebody, trying, is I'm actually still expecting somebody to change. Like, well, right. as long as you behave well or do this or do that, that I'm, and as soon as they're still acting like who they are, which is nothing bad, it's just not the way I want them to. I'm like, you know, it grabs me, so I have to be careful about not like prematurely pretending that I'm forgiving or, you know, trying to think what that's about. And also, bring out that maybe that you cannot rush forgiveness in a certain that's right. way. Um, uh, sometimes when you I rush forgiveness before I've had the chance to feel the full impact of what <coughs> happened, um, and it doesn't serve either one of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just I want to uh, just add to that, and then to get to Michael. The one of the things about that I because re I read a lot. I mean, I was like, there's my friends know me very well, and I'm very transparent about what I'm going through. And so they saw me sort of bumping into the furniture all over the place on this topic. And one of the things that I I saw in the literature was give forgiving for yourself first and foremost. You can't expect anything from anyone else, but giving, forgiving for your, yourself. And when you forgive for yourself and free yourself, magical things can happen. Mm -hmm. Michael. The thing I was going to add, 
Um, Yogi Feature talks a lot about um, forgiveness and uh, connects it with love, and, and a lot of times we think forgiveness is about conditional love, and it's not. Right. It's about it's saying things like conditional love. It doesn't have any rationality to it, and it's more about um, unconditionally loving yourself and whoever you're trying to forgive. And as soon as you find yourself um, trying to come up with reasons why you should, reasons they should, then it drops the That's unconditional right. part. It becomes a trade or yeah. transaction. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that story before some time ago, and uh, also heard a story about uh, a tribe who, I think it's Africa, when someone makes a crime or something, the family has two chances to, with the people who made the crime in the boat, and the boat is on fire, so all the family save them, or wow. let them die. Mm. So that was a really, also, big experience. But with my practice, I realized uh, it's sometimes so difficult to forgive when reach that point that uh, I uh, feel comfort in the sense of a karma and dharma. Because if someone like our friend hurts you so much, his karma is there, and there is nothing that I can do to clean it her, it's the other person, other person karma that yeah. is going So, uh, what giving me more? And more uh, hope that uh, things are going to be okay in the end is the concept of the karma dharma. You have a thought about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think uh, we were just talking about this uh, um, in the gym the other day with my friend Lou. You know, people's uh, karma, for, it, it's not our job to be spiritual policemen for the world and have lessons for them. Um, and, you know, there was just this great example of, uh, you might have read about it in the gay blogs. A young gay couple was in Soho, and this guy starts beating, pops this guy, starts shelling anti-gay things at one of them, and pops the one of the guys in the mouth, you know. Um, and uh, little did this guy know, who was homophobic, that these two young men who were married are graduates of the West Point, and they're basically trained killers. They, they had served in the <laughs> army. And... Uh, his partner just grabs the guy, throws him in the street, punches him and throws him in the street, and, you know, the guy's bloodied, the, the attacker's bloodied and everything. But, of course, people took pictures of this, because this has happened in Soho, and the guy is now facing a federal hate crime and a felony, and may spend 15 or 20 years in prison. So, um, you know, we don't have to, like, police the world. I don't have to police... I don't have to learn my lessons from my ex-boyfriend for him. I mean, it's just not my business. And really the heart of this talk is about what did I learn in, you know, in my journey? Yes? Uh, it's interesting to me that I think the big factor in this is time. Yeah. Because the emotions that arise, anger, hurt, and so forth, inevitably fade with time. And what's left in our hearts is uh, whatever awareness we have uh, through our own cultivation of our Buddha nature, of trying to reach our Buddha nature. Absolutely. That, that's, I think that's where forgiveness arises. I, I agree. I agree. Any else? Tom? Yeah, I mean, I was going to mention time, too, because, you know, the saying time for all wounds. And, but I think it has to do... Um, I mean, you have to want to get there, but also for me, you know, times when I've been hurt or held a grudge, 
I just get bored with telling the story. Yeah. You know? And and come to realize, like, okay, nothing's changing. You know, the barometer's not moving, there's nothing happening, there's no improvement, and I just get tired of hearing it and the same old responses. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about readiness. Yeah, yeah actually I'm about to, so hold hold that up, Joey. Um I think what that woman did uh, is powerful and amazing. And um, I think the lesson in it is to fully embrace that which doesn't bring you grace. Um, and by fully embracing it, she diffused it. It became um, this thing of almost gratitude, really, for um, having this new boy in her life. So I think diffusing things that hurt you, part of the um, power to diffuse it is by embracing it, welcoming it with a sense of gratitude. But this brought a lesson to my life, and it's a way of changing my life, and, and welcoming it really as something that shapes you into a better Buddha nature of yourself. Well said. Uh, it, it took a, I think that story took place over like five or six years. Um, so, I'm, um, oh yes, please. Go ahead. I'm going to take two more comments and then I'm going to go on because we'll, well, at the end we'll have a, a chance to talk. Thank you for sharing your story, especially the cookie story. Uh, <laughs> I, can, I can relate it to myself. I'm sure many of us can relate it to it as well. Um, I wanted to know your viewpoints about being judged and then being judgmental. Um, the way I see um, your story, without your judgment on your boyfriend being judgmental, what would the story would be? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, Could you repeat the question? Yeah, you know, what would have, you know, um, the con the connection between judging someone else who's judging you? <laughs> and um, I actually think my story that I'm about to tell the next part of the story is actually going to answer that so I'm going to well I'll come back if I don't completely answer it um, at the end uh, come back to me on that any last thing thank you um, I think a big part of the process is grief also yeah I mean that's probably that's was like the lubricant for this woman to be able to do all this if she was able to grieve. And I think a lot of times in relationships, particularly family relationships, where you're not just cutting off, you know, where you're trying to have a relationship, you know, you're you can forgive when you're repeatedly confronting things like someone's inability to see you or respond to you as a you know, you know loving way or a way you want. And so it's like you know, there's the acceptance of that and ability to kind of move through the grief and the, the wanting. Yeah, I think I think the grieving is really, really important. And if people that don't get to grieve um, suffer in really profound ways, so grief and time and um, lack of judgment. So I'm going to tell you some of the lessons that I got from this story and some of the other teachers that I had. Lesson number one, hope. If this mother could forgive her son's killer, maybe, just maybe, I could forgive my ex as well as anyone else who has hurt me. Number two, 
Forgiving doesn't mean forgetting or denying. This mother didn't forget what happened to her beloved son, nor did she deny her feelings or reality. She gradually opened up her heart to the killer of her son, coming to understand the causes and conditions that drove him to murder her child. Her love and compassion had been awakened. And as I thought of my ex-boyfriend, I could see how often his mind was filled with fear, doubt, and how he suffered from this, just like I do. Gradually, my empathy for him started to grow. Another lesson, uh, lesson number three is take time to go deep and to forgive. True forgiveness takes time. It becomes a moment-to-moment practice with a point of focus, the heart, and a persistent but gentle returning to love. There are many layers to the story that Jack tells, but it's almost like peeling a large artichoke or onion. I realized that I was not only angry at my ex, I was angry and frustrated with myself, the ups and downs of dating, the the cumulative disappointments of not being seen and fully appreciated in many romantic relationships. So I started working with a psychologist to help me deconstruct some of my experiences and feelings. And here are just a few of the things I discovered. When I was five years old, my sister suddenly died of cancer, and I was shocked and bereft. But my traditional Spanish-American family expected me to be strong and silent. In their words, a tough little man. I did not get to grieve or talk about my sister's death. And not surprising, in the months following her her passing, I started to have recurring nightmares and panic attacks about death that lasted well into my late 30s. After, I, I also had a big insight about my mother. I just I was, was telling Lou, I said, what is it about gay men and their mothers? <laughs> Two years ago after my sister's death, my mom had a nervous breakdown when I was seven. She was fragile and she didn't get much emotional support from my dad, who was also greatly suffering. There was no one for her to lean on, so she depended on me emotionally, even though I was just a kid. But here's the rub. She couldn't do the same thing for me. She had too much grief. She was overwhelmed and grief-stricken. On the several occasions I remember trying to talk to her about my feelings, she couldn't do it. She found ways to distance herself from my emotional distress, like doing the dishes or cooking while I talked. It made me mad. But after a while, I gave up. So from an early age, I became adept at supporting others, but I didn't expect others to do the same for me. Hearing myself say this to my therapist, a floodlight of recognition went off. 
isn't this the same pattern I had with my ex? (laughs) And looking back at my life, I tended to attract guys in part because of my nurturing and caring qualities. But I also chose chose guys who had little capacity to support me emotionally. But I could also see it wasn't personal. They were doing the best they could. And like me, I suspected, most of them were playing out an emotional pattern established early on. This was a big insight, and it has helped set me free to forgive myself, others, and others. And when I'm dating today, I am more mindful, staying awake to my needs, keeping good, healthy boundaries. As my friend Michael says, I reveal myself slower and see if this man has the capacity to emotionally meet me. In the past few years, I've talked to my mom about all of this, and she has apologized. And she has developed the capacity to truly listen to me, to hold my most difficult feelings. And given this new understanding of my own emotional wiring, I've been also able to forgive myself uh, for situations in which I hurt others. And this really includes something I've really never talked about before publicly. And that is a terrible incident in my early 30s. When I could not be there for a friend of mine who was dying of AIDS, I froze. I had too much unprocessed grief for my sister's death, as well as my fear of death and abandonment to support my friend Mike. And I so deeply regret that. In coming to terms with my own psychology and limitations, I have become more compassionate towards others. Most people's behaviors, including mine, are not intentionally hurtful. We're just acting out from our conditioning and our fears, obscuring our Buddhist nature. And to complete the circle of this morning, let's go back to my ex. In all fairness, he was raised by a narcissistic and materialistic mother, someone who had been deeply, deeply scarred by the Great Depression. I had spent time with her at a family wedding and I can see how controlling and critical she was well into her 80s. Given my much issues with my mother, I can empathize more with my ex. And while I do not choose to be a friend of his, I do wish him the best, including plenty of love and connection. Recently, I heard that he has a new relationship, which makes me happy. So I want to thank you for your attention. I've shared my story today to encourage you to see beyond the veils of fear and delusion to the Buddha nature that is the core of of every being. Forgiveness is an ongoing practice, every bit as rigorous as yoga. For me, it requires a constant bringing back of my awareness to my heart, leaning into those difficult emotional spots and seeing what I can learn about myself and others. And one parting thought. When you look into the mirror over the next few days, 
I invite you you to be kind to the man which you see, forgiving him for his failings, and remembering these words from the Course in Miracles. Spirit am I, a holy son of God, free of all limits, safe and healed and whole, free to forgive and free to save the world. Thank you. So that's my formal talk, part of my talk, and I had to actually script that out because some of those things are very hard to say. Um, but please, you know, we have a few minutes to, uh, to, to, to talk about any of this, and uh, I hope that answered your question about uh, judgment. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it's, it's, um, I think one of the things I realized in this, I don't want to spend my time judging people for their own feelings, which is like a... Judge, you're judging someone else who's judging. It's not a good dynamic. Yes, Tom. Hey, hey Joe. Um, thanks for a wonderful talk and you know all those great insights. I really appreciate it. You mentioned something about revealing yourself more slowly, like in the dating process as you're getting to know somebody. And you know, I had a friend who was always like attracting people who would sort of, you know, be what he wanted them to be. And it was because he was so definitive about what he wanted, and he would vocalize that. Oh, I believe in this, I like that, you know, da, da, da. and so they would just mirror that back to him. To be agreeable or to, you know, because they liked him. And then over time it would unfold where, you know, that wasn't their genuine those were not their genuine qualities. And I'm wondering if you can talk about, you know, how you do that and maybe the benefits of that's more like hearing what they have to say instead of just spouting everything out that you've learned. Yeah, I, I think, you know, um, I think it's, you know, it's we have a variety of, of ages here represented in this room, and um, I think, I think but the common experience that I think with a lot of gay men, especially until recently, is we got very adept to survive giving people what they wanted. And, you know, when you're in a relationship with another man who's done that, it could be a bit of a house of mirrors, where you're like, and I think one of the things that really the heart of Buddhism is, is this idea of authenticity. What is your true nature? Who are you? What do you believe in? How do you move through the world? How do you react to the challenges? And you know, for me, I realize, you know, dating is not a, a sales job. Dating is more of a. Um, it's, it's actually just showing who you are and seeing if this other person uh, dances with you in the right way. Um, and it's not like a, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a journey in itself. It's a, you know, as Yoda would say, it's the way, you know, you know. It's, so I think it's a, I think it's really important to be ourselves and to go slow. Like what my friend Michael is, you know, when I'm dating, it's like, um, you don't have to tell them your life story in the first 45-minute uh, um, coffee introduction. <laughs> so the part, I'm Michael, and the part I add to that is, um, and I'm learning this myself, um, there's something around this wounding that we've all had around homophobia and coming out and everything, most people in the room, 
with the exception of people that are younger that haven't had that probably quite as much that um, when we're dating, and I'm speaking of myself, we don't do it the same way we develop our friendships or anything else where we reveal slowly and get to know people and kind of seeing what they're about and everything. There's something that happens, I think, especially as we get older, that we go into like fourth gear immediately because we're thinking, well, it's time for us to be in this long-term relationship and this person looks like they might fit that. And we're skipping all those other steps we do in every other new relationship we have. It used to be we hopped in bed too soon, and now it's more if we're doing the okay Cupid thing, we know way too information, too much information about each other with this interviewing dating before we even know if there's chemistry there. So there's something in both of those extremes of hopping in bed early when we're younger or getting to know the person so well that you don't even know if you're attracted to them once you've actually checked out their resume and everything they're about and their values and all that stuff that we know way too much. And neither one of those is, is uh, it, it's moving too quickly and it's not organic and it's not the way, if we think about the friends that have been in our lives forever, that's not the way those friendships went and those relationships. So I try to practice, how do I do the friendships like I do dating? And I don't have to figure it out, but that's what I always use as the guide. And Joe and I talk about it almost weekly as we're dating and doing different things that way. Yeah, like, I like all these things, like Michael said, it's an ongoing practice of staying awake and I did meet someone about two months ago who was like, I hadn't even met him yet for the coffee, and he was worried about um, where we were going to live together. <laughs> and this is a very smart guy, like 50 years old. I was like, wow. Yes. I remember about Labor Day weekend about 17 years ago, and uh, Joe and Michael, you know, you led that workshop on being good boy and being a. Oh my God. So it was my first California men's gathering. It was one of the most powerful things. We had that Zen asking over and over, like, why do you want to be a good boy? Why do you want to be good? Why are you a good boy? And then, you know, and it just got us, many of us, to tears, you know, of all the ways that we try, in a way, sort of reflecting that, that mirroring and trying to be loved. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, whatever. And then it ends up creating a, kind of an awkwardness that people can tell, you know, there's something not quite being real there and they can they don't well, know how to dance around it. Well, I think, you know, and, and one of the things I said then and I even believe stronger now is um, we, gay men tend to have a special relationship with their mothers. Um, we have sort of twin energies of the masculine and the feminine and it makes us very safe and, and stuff and sometimes um, there is some wounding that goes on there or some dynamics, a pleasing mom but not pleasing ourselves or taking care of it. It's a very, I think I've heard that very common story for gay boys to really take care of their moms. Mm -hmm. Sometimes at the expense of themselves. So, And it's not to say, hey, my mom is a great person. I love her to death. But uh, really, you know, about 10 years ago when I was going through a really big disappointment, she was like making it about her and she couldn't listen to it. And I said, mom, if you can't listen to this, um, this is like re-wounding me again. Um, maybe we're going to have to take a break for our, from our relationship. And that really set a firm boundary and got her attention. And I'll tell you, she like mm-hmm. she was able to do something different after that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's really good because she's getting older and she's going to require a lot of help. And so I want to be there for her, but I didn't want to be resentful that it was a lopsided relationship mm-hmm. like my ex was in the old days. There's some more questions. Oh, and uh, 
Go ahead, Will. Over to um, thank you, Joe, for your amazing talk. I loved it. Um, the one thing I, I was thinking about uh, that I think is worth adding is to study the path of vengeance in terms of forgiveness. Because uh, I know in my life, uh, vengeance has been this kind of sugar rush for me of joy in a way. Like, oh, I'm going to get them, you know? And um, what I mean about studying it as a path of forgiveness is. Every time I've gone down that sugar rush, I invariably end up with a hangover, a pain, more so than anything that I started with. And that is a path to forgiveness as well, when you study it and you see what vengeance actually gives you and brings you to. You realize that forgiveness is actually the gentler, more beautiful approach. So, yeah, well, that's great. That's a, well, and I think everyone who's sent an email in the moment of anger knows what Lou's talking about. And you're like, can I re recall that? You know, and causes all sorts of suffering. So, yeah. Yes? Yeah, while you were talking, I just, my mind was going, applying my own life, my own situation to, to, to words work. And it's, it's interesting, I'm pretty good at, at conditional forgiveness in the sense that if the other person acknowledges that, that he or she behaved inappropriately, wounded me, I can forgive them. I don't think I have it in me to forgive a person who, who has hurt me who doesn't acknowledge that he's hurt me. Or she. And it's just, I'm not saying it's good or bad, it probably isn't great. Um, but um, it's just interesting to see that. To see that I, I need, to, need to be acknowledged that the, that the, the injury was done. And if, if I don't get that, I don't have to forgive the person. Or at least it's, it's much, much harder for me to do that. Well, I, I appreciate the honesty of that and just, I mean, work with that and see where that goes. You know, it's like, uh, um, I, I understand that impulse, really. I really do. Yes? I just had a question for you. Like with a mother, I mean, as I see it, she had to soften to herself before she could soften to anyone else. So, in your story of forgiving, what was a little bit of your journey in terms of softening to yourself? Great question. Watching, the cookies were sort of the symbol of what you already knew. So, mm -hmm. how did you soften to your own enlightenment of who you were as a person in order to forgive? I don't know if that was. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really fair. So, you know, I told a story that took place over five years. Mm -hmm. And the first couple of years, I was just sort of like, you know, I, I started dating other people and recreated little aspects of this and things. But um, I was um, I was really curious why this bothered me so much. And um, and I think uh, this this story actually I came across it. I bought a CD on forgiveness. I bought like five of them, and this is Jack Wolfe's. And I came across this one, and it just like. It was such radical forgiveness that it stopped, made me stop. I mean, I was like, mm -hmm. I remember, you know, he had like, he, he does a great um, lecture on forgiveness and you can YouTube them if you want. But this story just like, I said, I can't even imagine forgiving my son's killer and then adopting them. And I mean, it just like, it was, it was beyond my brain. But I think that sowed the seeds 
that combined with sitting, meditation, conversations with my friends, um, a real active exploration that I started reflecting. I said, well, you know, my story sounds like a great grievance story, but it's, you know, I, I started deconstructing it and just letting it go and and really started focusing on myself because I wanted to get on with my life. I was, when this breakup happened, I was 50 years old, and I'm like, what am I going to do, spend the rest of my life angry? It's just ridiculous. So it was a combination of pragmatics and just softening into myself. Yes? Yeah, this is a, sort of a smaller story, but um, a couple weeks ago, well, um, an acquaintance of mine owed me, owes me $120. Um, and uh, he is an acquaintance of someone I met at someone's dinner party. And uh, we, he kept promising he would pay it back. Uh, and he said, I'll show up at such, such a place. So he never did it. He never, he never paid me back. So anyway, so hold on. There's that. Um, but it's just interesting because uh, I see him around, and I saw him recently, and I left. We were, it was an electric cafe, and I didn't want to face him, so I left. So it, was, it wasn't, I mean, I think the interesting thing about vengeance, the word that was brought up, you're not really... I, I think what I struggle with is I, I fear that I'm going to make people wrong. I'm not really interested in making this man wrong. On the other hand, I also felt that, you know, I don't like being treated this way. I felt very disrespected. I don't want to be treated this way. I know I don't want this man in my life in any, in any fashion. But I'm not quite sure how I want to, when I run into him, I will. You know, I don't want to sit there and run from him when I see him. So, I, don't, I really don't plan to try to say, but I, mm. I guess I'll say I you know, forgive him, not the world. But uh, you, you know, what is it? What will it? What is it? I actually say to him when I actually you know, am confronted with him. What I feel like I want to say is, I don't, you know, I don't care to have you in my in any. I don't want to see you or have you in. Any, you know, I don't have you in, any, in my life in capacity. On the other hand, we will bump into each other. So, uh, anyway. Just, it's just interesting how you know, Well, it, you know, it, one of the things, too, and I, I really point out in this, and thanks for that story, is, is um, not that you have to agree with it, but finding out why he hasn't paid you. You know, you know, um, there may be something there, and it may be some irresponsibility, but there may be, who knows? It, life's, life's very complex. If I may, I just, you know, it's interesting because I, I thought about that, and there's a part of me that's just really not interested, genuinely not interested. And I also realize that if I heard it, it may give me a sense of, oh, maybe more compassion, more understanding, or deepen that forgiveness, you know? So it's just the choice that we make. Well, I, I, as someone is, who tends to be sometimes too compassionate in those situations, I, I think uh, uh, the, the twins of both Firm boundaries and compassion allow us to be our Buddha nature here on earth. And like saying to people, that really hurt me. Uh, I prefer you not to do that again. And I also hear your story. You know, um, and uh, I noticed, just to give you um, an aside, after that relationship, I was in another two-year relationship. And um, I got really good. And when I felt I was not, my needs were not being taken care of, and um, that I would 
would stop and sort of advocate for myself. And I was dating a, psych a psychologist, and so <laughs> it was a very active, interesting sort of situation. So um, I think it's a it's a really good thing is like um, taking care of yourself and seeing the Buddha nature in yourself. It's the reason I ended this this talk on this this little thing from the Course in Miracles. When we see our own Buddha nature, we could be more skillful in the world, be more forgiving. Mm -hmm. It's it's really the heart, the foundation of. It. Any other? You, you mentioned something interesting that I noticed. You learn to be more assertive with your mother. That breakthrough helped you to be more assertive with your other boyfriends. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, um, it's funny because I'm like, you know, I'm not a small guy. I am like, a, I am, I'm in people who have seen me operate in the business world. If like, if you double cross me or something, I'm like, stop that. But. I was trained early on by my mom, unconsciously, that the people that were closest to me, it didn't have to be a reciprocal arrangement. And it wasn't because my mom was mean. She was just, my mom was 29 years old or 28 years old when my sister died. So, you know, she was just doing the best she could. But, you know, uh, with both my parents, who are still alive, when they cross a certain line and say, Okay, you've crossed that line. I love you, but get back over there, and um, and it's really worked out better. And you know that's that's an ongoing experience. And I can, can I do that without being an asshole? That's what is the thing I ask myself. You know, but firm. Yes, David. I'm just thinking about um, expectations and how we go around and we have expectations on how people should behave and how people should be treated and it's all very personal. I'm thinking, God, this world is so filled with people not doing things you don't like and not being treated well and that if you really took it personally all the time, you'd walk around being angry forever and you'd, you'd be you be the loser. Not to say that we don't create boundaries sometimes and choose our battles and you know have to say things, but but this world is so fraught with um, things that don't go the way we we, we want them to, uh, either personally and uh, so. I'm just thinking about is is there a way to do a dance in this world to maintain your equilibrium so you're not angry? Yeah, I think that's really good. And, you know, um, and we've talked about this many times, like, you know, what do you um, uh, choose to get angry about and assert yourself and draw a boundary? Um, I just want one thing I want to say is you could you could tell I at the beginning of this, uh, there was a thing that said I dedicated this to my friend Mike and uh, um It's, you know, I actually was anxious coming here today and sharing that story with you guys, you know, because we all lived through the AIDS era. I, I consider myself a very, you know, a decent, compassionate man. And I think one of the things that really awakened my, my compassion to my, my acts here was seeing how I failed in this situation. I, and I failed um, 
not because there was a lack of compassion. It was just, I was still, um, I had unresolved really big issues, you know, um, nightmares, and, and I, I, I just couldn't deal with death at all. And I didn't, and, uh, and it wasn't until I took that apart that I really feel like the real big healing um, happened for me. And so this, this whole experience wasn't just about forgiving a boyfriend, it was forgiving myself and being uh, bigger in this world and, and more and softer. You know, just to piggyback on that, the Buddha said, you can search the whole world over and you will never find anyone more, um, more deserving of forgiveness and compassion than yourself. Well said. Um, you, you all might have heard this before, but if you look at the word forgiving and break it down, it's forgiving. And if you're not forgiving, then what are you for? You're for not giving. <laughs> and, and who is it not forgiving to yourself, mainly, right? If you're not forgiving, you're, you're not giving to yourself something that can really enrich you. And, um, and of course, if you're not going to be giving to whoever you're not forgiving, then you're certainly not giving, right, to that person. So breaking it down into what are you for? If you're forgiving, it, it just, it's, it's a stance. And you, you mentioned it so briefly, but I love the notion of radical forgiveness. And it, it's like taking a stance for forgiving and being and standing Open it up and be radically forgiving. Yeah, I think that. Um, well, my, my 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 talk last year was about um, forgiving those people who act who are anti-gay. You know, and and as an activist, um, I have found that being one of my greatest challenges, forgiving them. But you know, I actually don't care the people who oppose marriage equality. We won. <laughs> and now I'm happy. And they could be grumbly and whatever, and that's their own stuff. But I forget all the past battles and everything, and I didn't want to demonize them. I just wanted to win and be a force for love. And I think that's what really forgiveness is about, is being standing for love, loving yourself first, and then extending that. We have to close there, but um, sure. Joe will be available to talk after. Do we have any announcements? Yes, Yeah, I haven't brought this up for quite a while. A lot of you know, maybe not everybody, but we have a program where once a month we prepare a dinner for a homeless shelter, Dr. Street Homeless Shelter, it's for young people, I think it's called ages 22. We did one just yesterday, and Greg was a wonderful helper of that. And every now and then I have to beef up the volunteer list. So, Asking if this is something you might be interested in doing, and basically it's just come together for about three or four hours, and we try to fix. Uh, the shelter is great; it gives you it gives a roof and dinner and, and counseling. But you know, it's, it's a nonprofit; they're on a big budget, so the food is very elemental, to say the least. And um, we try to give them like one really fancy meal a month, and it's, it's they're very appreciative. Um, so if you're interested in doing something like that. 
Color me outside, and I'll put you on the list, and then I'll contact you next time we do it. We did the third Saturday every month. Great. Did you want to say something? Uh, it was a great experience, and um, it was a pretty amazing meeting. <laughs> Clint did a great job coming up with good stuff, and everybody worked well together. It was fun. Okay. Hi, I'm your host today. So please stay and enjoy the fellowship of the center. There's hot water for tea. And um, if you have tea, please put your cup in the sink and wash it with hot soapy water. Um, there are some treats. Um, vegan treats will be on this wall, and um, the others are not necessarily vegan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll be coming around with a donor hole. I guess a suggested donation to help the song meet its expenses is $10. Um, well, I'm grateful for whatever you wanted to donate. And some people gather at, oh, there's a sign-up sheet along this credential implies a big entry of, um, for people who want to have their name to our animals. And at 12.30, some people gather at the front door uh, to go to lunch, and everybody's welcome to join me. Our annual retreat is coming up the third weekend in September. It's uh, Friday the 18th through Sunday the 20th. It's at Vashrapani Institute, and uh, there are about 10 spaces available. Uh, there are fly there's a flyer outside on the credenza here. Uh, it's also available on the website at gaybuddhist.org. And feel free to ask me any questions if you have them. Other announcements? Let's join for the closing. By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.